What's up, Buffalonians? It's your boy, Nick English. If you want the facts, the stats, and all the sports info in the 716, you have come to the right place. This is English Encore, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. I'm your host, Nick English. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy out there. Today, I'm going to be going over the World Series a little bit. I know it's been a little over a week and a half, couple weeks since the Dodgers won, but I want to talk about Kevin Cash's decision in Game 6 to pull Blake Snell. Then I'll be going into some college football, some Heisman frontrunners, as well as what Trevor Lawrence should do as regarding the NFL draft, or he should stay at Clemson or go to the draft. We'll be getting into that. Then we're going over the four biggest games of Week 9 for the NFL, but starting off with the World Series. So, like I said, it's been a few weeks since the Dodgers won. I haven't had really a chance to talk about it. I've had some other great topics on the episode, or on the podcast. Um, so I want to kind of go back and talk about um, this series as a whole. When I last talked about the series, it was 1-1. One to one. You know, I thought the Rays were playing pretty well, but I thought the Dodgers' just offensive power was going to eventually overwhelm them. And I thought they would win in six, seven games, which they ended up winning in six games. Um, the Rays really had an excellent chance to go to a game seven. And I think, you know, the underlying storyline of the World Series, other than the Dodgers winning, was Kevin Cash's decision. It kind of overlooked so many things on the Dodgers side. So Kevin Cash makes the decision in game six to pull Blake Snell, which ultimately leads to the Dodgers winning the World Series. At the point Snell got pulled, he was five and a third innings in. He had allowed two hits, one run, one earned, nine Ks on 73 pitches, which that earned run actually didn't even come until after he was pulled because it was technically his guy that was left on base. Um, before you know that you even think about pulling him, the Dodgers' probably two best players in the series offensively was Bellinger and Mookie Betts, who to that point, hadn't gotten a hit um, off of Snell that game, including multiple strikeouts. And they're bringing in Anderson from the bullpen. And to me, the decision to bring in Anderson is just questionable in itself because he pitched .1 innings, allowed one hit, one run, one earned on 10 pitches. And coming into that game, Anderson had allowed one earned run in his last six appearances. So to me, I know you eventually have to go back to that guy and you know you want to try to get him out of a funk, but the decision to pull Snell on 73 pitches in a game six of a World Series when you need a win, you're letting that pitcher go as long as he can. I don't care what the analytics tell you. That's a decision you have to make. And now, I don't want to completely bash analytics because analytics, to me, I think is used well in certain circumstances. But at the end of the day, where I think people misconstrued what analytics do and what they're used for um, is where there's a gray area. Analytics is a tool to help you make decisions. You know, analytics is going to tell you you know, in this certain situation, the statistical number of this happening is this, this, and this. 
Um, and you know, those are great tools to have. And sometimes analytics work for you and sometimes they don't. And analytics to the Rays and Kevin Cash's credit had worked for them most of the year and they had made a lot of analytic decisions, including earlier in the series, um, and it ended up going in their favor. But again, in game six of a World Series, you know, analytics can tell you all the things in the world. They could say that Anderson's the best guy to go to in that situation. But if your pitcher is dealing like that, you know, analytics have outliers too. And ultimately, it's the coach's or manager's decision, you know, to do that and make that call. And analytics isn't the one that's telling Kevin Cash, oh, you have to go do this. Analytics is there to help you, not make your decision. So to me, I thought that was a very bad decision by him. Uh, I don't think he's going to get fired by any means. Um, if he did, it would almost be like a Toronto Raptors Dwayne Case situation where he won coach of the year and then they let him go. But, you know, Kevin Cash, I thought, did a great job throughout the entire year. I just think when push came to shove, he kind of let the analytics get the best of him and didn't trust his pitchers um, enough to go later in games. The other storylines, obviously, in these playoffs was Mookie Betts and uh, Bellinger were incredible. You know, the Dodgers look like world champions in that Betts trade compared to the Red Sox now. Um, Clayton Kershaw won four of his five starts in the postseason, 2-0 and in the World Series. Uh, really just happy for him because before this, he was kind of known as the guy that chokes in the playoffs. So for him to you know, win four out of his five games and go 2-0 in the World Series, including two big-time wins for them, pitching really well. I think it's a great sign for the Dodgers. Kind of just a big monkey off his back uh, going forward. Overall, I thought it was a pretty good World Series. I think the MLB postseason in general was pretty fun to watch. So um, I think the Rays definitely are going to be a team to look out for in the future, whether or not they can get in some other star players to come in, which isn't really their M.O., as far as bringing in people, but, you know, Dodgers, as always, are going to be one of the class acts of the NL, and they're always going to have a chance at winning the World Series because they just have a knack of bringing in good players, especially Mookie Betts and Bellinger there. Um, very good pitching staff. I think they're definitely going to be a team that's feared for a long, long time, and it's really cool that, you know, either way, regardless of Tampa or LA won, that you're going to have two championships in one city, so now the Lakers and Dodgers both won where if the Rays would have won, it would have been them and the Lightning. So it's a good year in sports for both of those cities. You know, the Bucks um, are doing really well in Tampa, and they're hosting the Super Bowl. So those two cities are just having a great year um, as far as sports are concerned. But um, overall, I thought the World Series was very good um, from a fan's eye, um, despite everything going on. So credit MLB for that. Moving on to NCAA football, I'm going over – the quick Heisman favorites, you know, going into this week's games and then kind of talking about Trevor Lawrence and whether he should stay at Clemson or go to the draft. There's been a lot of speculation and rumors going on that if the Jets get the number one pick that he could stay. Um, I'm kind of going to go through that decision, but overall I'm going through the four Heisman favorites in my opinion um, thus far. It's really hard not to have a lot of quarterbacks on this. I do have one non-quarterback just kind of the way college football has been and, and always will be for the Heisman race unless you have a stud wide receiver or running back that really breaks out. 
the Heisman Trophy just genuinely, I feel like, always goes to the quarterbacks for some reason. Uh, starting at number four, Najee Harris of Alabama. 714 yards, 14 touchdowns. It's an unreal number. Um, he's just been having a monster year for them. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Derrick Henry. Uh, just downhill runner, isn't afraid to run you over. Pretty elusive for his size as well. Um, just been very good for Alabama. Number three, Trevor Lawrence to Clemson. You know, he's been missing the past few games because of COVID, but on the year, 1,800 yards, passing 17 touchdowns, only two interceptions. Um, he's regarded as going to be the number one overall pick in next year's draft, which I just kind of touched upon. Mac Jones from Alabama, I have him at number two. A lot of people have him as the number one uh, right now for the Heisman. He has 2,196 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions. Both Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence have Clemson undefeated to this point. Um, but my number one overall for the Heisman Trophy is Justin Fields from Ohio State. Uh, 594 passing yards, six touchdowns, zero interceptions. Mind you, he's only played two games because that conference started late. Um, as long as there's no more COVID cases and they can play their full season out, I think it's going to be very hard um, for Justin Fields not to win the Heisman. Fields has actually been in talks that he could even take over Lawrence as far as being the number one overall pick. I don't think that would happen, but Justin Fields is just a very special athlete. Um, has a great arm, a great pocket presence, can get out of a lot of situation. Just a very accurate quarterback. If he continues to play the way he has all year, there's definitely going to be that conversation. But regardless of that, Trevor Lawrence is regarded as the best quarterback in the country. Kind of moving over to the rumor that's been circling around the past few weeks in college football um, surrounding Trevor Lawrence is that if the Jets were to get the number one overall pick, that he would consider staying at Clemson. I just kind of time to break down this whole decision. Um, to me, if I was him and I could control my fate in a certain way and the Jets did have the number one overall pick, personally, if I was him, I probably would stay at Clemson. Just from the sole fact that the Jets are a laughingstock organization right now with a terrible coach that, you know, they're already ruining a good young quarterback in Sam Darnold. Why would a guy like Trevor Lawrence want to look at that situation and be like, yeah, I want to go there? Even if the Jets' plan is to just keep Adam Gase and let him run this team in the ground for the year just so they could tank and get Trevor Lawrence, you have to bring in a guy that's going to coach him up. And the Jets, to me, I just, they just haven't been able to bring in anyone, and I have no confidence in that organization to do so. So if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I want no part in that organization whatsoever. And it's a very hard decision, though, because if you look at Trevor Lawrence, he's pretty much accomplished everything he wants to in college. He's won national championship. You know, he's been touted as the best quarterback in the country for a few years now. He has nothing left to really prove at Clemson. At the same time, with COVID going on and everything, it's probably not the most ideal way to end your last year in college. So maybe he does want to just go back and play a full year you know, next year, if there's going to be fans and it's a less um, degree of COVID and, you know, things are just opened up more, you know, the draft process has been weird, you know, for all sports, but, you know, you saw what it was like for the NFL. You know, there's not nearly as many workouts. You don't get to show yourself off. Trevor Lawrence's case, it wouldn't probably be a huge issue, 
But, you know, he has had some injury concerns as well. Now he has COVID, so he's missing some time. Um, so to me, if Trevor Lawrence really just wants to go get his money, be the number one overall pick, he's going to go and do it. But if he truly wants to end up in the right situation, if the Jets are the team that gets last place, which they should, I just truly don't know if I would want to go there. Like, he has no offensive weapons. They have a terrible offensive line, regardless of them drafting that offensive lineman in the first round this year. You know, Sam Darnold's still there. I think he's still very promising, regardless of what people say. And, you know, I'm a Bills fan, and I still think Sam Darnold's a very good quarterback. He's just been put in a terrible situation with Adam Gase. You know, their defense isn't good. You know, you have players constantly tweeting and doing stuff. You know, Adams, Le'Veon Bell. You know, C.J. Mosley opted out because of COVID, and I don't think he's very happy there either. Um, there's the laughing stock right now. I don't really know if Trevor Lawrence wants to be a part of it, but at the end of the day, I do think he wants to be the number one overall pick, so I think he will declare, but it's definitely something to monitor um, going forward if you are a Clemson or Jets fan personally. Um, moving on to the last topic for today's episode, going over the biggest games for Week 9 across the NFL. Came up with four of them. I'm starting off with the 5-3 Bears versus the 5-2 Tennessee Titans. This is going to be a very weird game because both of these teams, it's kind of like, are they for real or are they frauds? And I think the Titans are definitely the more team that, you know, I think they are very good. They're very well coached by Mike Vrabel. It's just that loss to Cincinnati was very stunning you know, Clowney looks like he might be having surgery. Their defense has been terrible um, the past few weeks. You know, Ryan Tannehill's had a very good year, and Derrick Henry's obviously been a beast, but um, they definitely struggled over the past two to three weeks or so. And, you know, as far as the Bears go, that whole organization just looks like a mess. They started off really well. You know, Nick Foles has just been erratic his past two starts, and now Mitch Trubisky is hurt, so they can't even go back to him if they wanted to which I think would still be a bad decision. Um, but if the Bears lose and go to 5-4, and four, um, they might have to start thinking about blowing things up. That offense is just a disaster. Allen Robinson can't get the ball for his life, even though he's one of the top 10 receivers in the NFL, in my opinion. Um, the Titans just need to get back to what they were doing best last year on defense when they were to shut teams down. I think Vrabel will get them to do that. I think it's a very intriguing matchup because there's just so many storylines for both teams. And because they're opposite conferences, um, I definitely think it's going to be a dogfight. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, I think, you know, Titans are going to try to run the ball. And the Bears are definitely just going to try to get Allen Robinson involved more and get Nick Nick Foles, you know, more comfortable. Um, The next game to look at clearly is the Sunday night game, which is the Saints and the Bucks. 6-2 Bucks versus the 5-2 Saints. Um... You know, Brady's going to have a chance to go back and beat the Saints after they lost to him earlier in the year um, in New Orleans. So it's going to be a good chance. Drew Brees has had question marks if he's been washed up or not. You know, I feel like his arm talent isn't nearly the same as it was last year. Um, I think he's really struggled. Michael Thomas is expected to be back. So that's a huge boost for them. Um, Brady has his name in the MVP conversation. Antonio Brown's going to be playing in his first game as a buck. A combination of him, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and then the backfield with Jones, Fournette, and McCoy. Um, it's just very lethal. The Bucks are a legit Super Bowl contender. 
And I just think it's going to be a very uh, high-scoring game. Um, Tampa's defense has played really well. I think Michael Thomas coming back is going to boost the Saints' offense a lot, especially if they can get Kamara and Latavius Murray going on the ground as well. It's going to open up the pass game for Drew Brees even more. Um, very good matchup. You have the 6-2 and two Buffalo Bills hosting the 6-1 and one Seattle Seahawks. Josh Allen versus Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is my MVP to this point in the year. That offense is just explosive. DK Metcalf has been a top five receiver in the NFL this year. Him and Tyler Lockett um, have been just extraordinary for Russell Wilson. Greg Olson's kind of looked a little bit rejuvenated in Seattle. Running back's a big question mark. Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson are out for them. They do have DJ Dallas. They called up Alex Collins from the practice squad and Travis Homer as well. A big opportunity for the Bills' run defense to step up, which they have been non-existent all year. The Bills' offense has really been stagnant over the past two, three weeks. They need to get back going to what they were the first four weeks when Josh Allen was a big-time MVP candidate. I think John Brown being back for a second week in a row is going to help that. I think they were kind of easing him in last week. And with the Patriots, it's always going to be a dogfight for a divisional game. Um, This is a big prove-it game for the Bills, prove they're legit or not. You know, Seattle's defense is not very good. They do get Jamal Adams back and the addition of Carlos Dunlap. But this is a team that's allowing over 30 points per game usually. So the Bills should look to attack them in the air. And hopefully they can continue to have things going on the ground with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary both pushing 100 yards last week and a couple touchdowns on the ground for Moss. And then finally, the Ravens versus the Colts. Both teams are 5-2, and two, a big AFC battle. Um, Lamar has struggled against good teams this year. He's been proven to be a great regular season quarterback, but in the playoffs, he consistently has come up short and choked. Um, the Colts are just a very weird team. You know, they lost week one to the Jacksonville Jaguars, but then they come out and beat, you know, a few good teams. They get down huge to the Bengals early and then come back and win. There's a weird team to figure out. I think Frank Wright's a great coach. Um, I'm still questionable if Phillip Rivers is the right quarterback for them. At the beginning of the year, I thought it was a great fit. But there's just times that Phil Rivers' arm looks shot or he just is very careless with the ball. Um, Jacoby Brissett, to me, is a guy that's not going to turn the ball over. He's not going to wow you, but he's going to be a consistent 250, 300-yard passer. A couple touchdowns, can run around a little bit. You know, uh, Colts are banged up on the receiving front, but I think overall it's going to be a good game just because the Colts' defense is legit. I think they're a top-three defense in the NFL right now. Um, Darius Leonard's an absolute freak at that linebacker position. Um, the Colts are just a very weird team, but a fun team to watch at the same time. Um, so a lot of really good matchups this week. Uh, just those four off top of my head, I think, are the most intriguing, whether it's a divisional matchup or just a lot of storylines going on. Good quarterback matchup like Allen and Wilson going at it. Um, but that's going to do it for today's episode, everyone. Appreciate everyone for tuning in. I will be back again on Monday with another episode. I'm kind of going over some fun topics. I'll probably be doing some sabers list of some previous teams or kind of doing what i did before building all-time sabers team stuff kind of get back into that flow because the sabers really don't have too much going on i'll be going over the bill seattle game and then previewing their next matchup against the arizona cardinals and then i'll also be talking about ub bulls who won their opening game against northern illinois Jarrett patterson was an absolute beast broke the ub uh touchdown record uh, in their last game, two touchdowns in that game. Really good overall performance by UB and their defense. So I'll get talking about that. 
and then also touch a little bit on the MAC conference and Canisius Niagara as they made some changes to their overall schedule and what the MAC is going to be doing this year. But that's going to do it for today's episode, everyone. Uh, appreciate everyone again for the support. This has been an English Encore Podcast, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. Yeah.